0: Starting a brand new series today called You Were Made For. You Were Made For. See, the truth is, each and every person in this room, you were made for. For certain things. I got three kids. I got a 13-year-old, Brianna Grace. I got an 8-year-old, Sadie Kate, and a 20-month-old, Lawson Cruz. And uh, I love each and every one of those uh, children. Uh, but I'll never forget the way that we found out that we were pregnant with Sadie Kate. Uh, Amanda had a, a spider bite. And some of y'all might have heard this story. Some of you haven't. But Amanda had a spider bite, and it looked real rough. It looked pretty nasty. And so Amanda comes to me, and she shows me the spider bite. And I got a weak stomach. You know what I mean? But she asked me. She said, "She says, does this look rough?" And I mean, I was trying to be supportive, but again, I got that weak stomach. And I was like, I was like, it looked fine, but but maybe we need to go to the we need to go to the doctor and get it checked out anyway. And so it was a Sunday afternoon, a Sunday afternoon. The only place it was open on a Sunday was MEA Medical Clinic over in Jackson. I know y'all know MEA, right? It's so nice to know they're there for you. You know, MEA Clinic, right? MEA. Y'all know that song, right? So we go to the MEA, and so we go in there. They run a couple tests on Amanda, and so me and her are sitting in the room, uh, the patient room. We're just kind of having small talk, and all of a sudden, the doctor comes in, and the doctor says, congratulations. And I thought, man, that's the weirdest thing to say to somebody who got bit by a spider. But it was... It obvious to me that this guy was from another country, and so I thought, well, maybe in his country it's a blessing to get bit by a spider, and so uh, I, I didn't really know. And so I said, "Congratulations for for what?" And he said, "On the pregnancy." And I'm thinking, man, this guy's picked up the wrong patient file. We're here for a spider bite, and I even told him, I was like, "Hey, man, we're here for a spider bite. We're not here for..." Anything. He goes, "Oh yeah, I, I got the right file, and you're pregnant." And I was like what uh, so we we definitely were not expecting to hear that we were pregnant that day and so a lot of times what happens for a lot of people is that they're not necessarily expecting to have a child you've heard that phrase accidental pregnancy anybody ever heard that you know what I mean me and Amanda weren't anticipating having a child at that moment we're glad we had a child but we weren't we weren't really anticipating it but here's what I want you to understand is that just because you might have, you know, had an accidental pregnancy or your parents weren't necessarily uh, expecting to have you, I want you to know that you're not an accident, right? You're not a uh, mistake. You're not a mistake. You're, you're not a mistake. The, the psalmist says it best in Psalm 139 and verse 13 and 14. He says, For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Folks, God made you, God made me, God made us, he made each and every one of us, and he didn't make us because he was bored, he didn't make us on accident, he didn't make us by mistake, he created us on purpose, for a purpose, and with a purpose. He made us for certain things, and that's what we're going to talk about in this series, is we're going to talk about certain things that each and every one of us were made for, and today I want to start off the series by letting you know that you were made for Christ. You were made for Christ. Now, there really are some literary works out there that each and every one of us are familiar with. Great English poet, great great English writer by the name of William Shakespeare. Anybody in here, you ever heard of William Shakespeare? Like, I can start some quotes from William Shakespeare, and I know that you're going to be able to finish them. William Shakespeare once said, to be or not to be, right? Y'all know that. That is the question. He also wrote Romeo and Juliet, and I know that y'all know this line. Juliet says, Romeo Romeo wherefore art thou Romeo I mean you guys know those things just some great English poets great English writers and some and men, you know decades and decades and decades many years later there was another English uh, English person English group actually that had uh, a lot of great things to say and I know that y'all are going to recognize this English group as well I'm talking about the Spice Girls Anybody remember them? They're from England. Anybody remember Great, great uh, English poets and, and, and just lyrical people right here. I know that I'll say some of their lyrics and y'all are going to be able to finish them. The Spice Girl said, yo, tell me what you, what you really, really, I'll tell you what I, what I really, really want. I want to, I want to, I want to, we both, what? <laughs> right? Right? we we tearing the church up, not the club. We're tearing the church Anyway, but I mean, y'all know, y'all know that. Well, here's. Here's the deal. In life, a lot of us know what we want. If you ask a child around a holiday, around their birthday, they're going to be able to spit out a long list of things that they want. Even adults, they might not have a list of presents and things that they'd like to receive, but there is a list of things that they would like to do and achieve in their life. Adults have what are known as bucket lists, right? Things that we want to do before we kick the bucket. Well, the Apostle Paul had a bucket list. List, But the Apostle Paul's bucket list didn't include, hey, I want to be a race car driver. His bucket list didn't include, include, hey, I want to climb Mount Everest. His bucket list didn't include, hey, I want to see a tornado before I die. I want to skydive. skydive. He, didn't, he didn't want to do any of those things. All Paul wanted to do, he had narrowed everything that he wanted to do down to all things Jesus. All things Jesus. You can read about it in Philippians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. But he would narrowed everything he wanted in life down to all things Jesus. So for the rest of the time that we have together, I want to point out four things to you that Paul wanted. And I want you to ask yourself if these are things that you want in your life too. So the first thing I want you to see that Paul wanted was Paul wanted to know Christ. He wanted to know Christ. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Paul says this, I want to know Christ. Doesn't get any more clearer than that. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Why did Paul say? Again, he said, I want to know Christ. Well, what, what does that mean when he said, I want to know Christ? Well, in the Greek, that doesn't mean that Paul wanted to have some details or some knowledge about God. It doesn't mean that he wanted to have some dimensions and just a little bit of information. What Paul is saying is that I want to know Christ personally, just like a man or a woman know one another deeply in a marriage That's what Paul wanted when it came to Jesus Christ. And if I could speak to the young people who are in this room today, here's what I want you to understand. You'll get distracted by a lot of things in this world. You'll say, I want this, I want that, I want this, and you'll begin to pursue all sorts of things in this world. But I promise you, please do me a favor and make sure that you put pursuing Jesus Christ at the top of your list. When it comes to whatever it is that you're going to chase after, you want to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus, the one who formed you in the womb, the one who knows everything about you and loves you anyway. You need to know the one who came and died for you because I promise you, he will never leave you and never forsake you. Please get to know Jesus. And maybe for all the mature people who are here today, you've been a Christian for a while. Here's what's interesting about this passage where Paul says, I want to know Christ. What's interesting when he says, I want to know Christ, is that Paul has been a Christian now for 30 years. He's been a Christian for 30 years, and so why in the world would Paul say this? It's because the relationship that Paul has with Jesus at this moment in his life is not dead. There's still a whole lot of passion there. He says, look, I've been through trial after trial. Even at this point when Paul is writing this, he's in prison. He's under house arrest. He's chained between two guards. And so he says, hey, you know what? Even after all the trials, even after all the miracles I've seen, I've seen dead people rise. I've seen sick people be healed. He said, man, I've seen the third heaven. Whether I was in my body or not or in my body, I don't have any idea. But after all of those things, there's still one thing that consumes my heart, and that is that I want to know Christ. He's saying, after 30 years of already knowing him, I want to know him more. And what's wild is that if I was in Paul's situation, if I had faithfully served Jesus for 30 years, if I had done everything that Jesus told me to do, and I found myself being chained between two guards, I wouldn't be asking to want to know God more. I'd be wanting to know why. Why me, God? Why is this happening to me? And maybe you're here today and you feel like you're in some sort of prison. You feel bound up. You feel tied up. There's something going on that's got you pulled down. I want you to understand, don't ask yourself, why me, God? Instead of asking why, you need to focus on the who. You need to focus on Jesus because the only way to get through and push through all the trials of this life is by keeping your eyes on Christ for Paul, knowing Christ meant that he had access to a greater power. See, I remember when I was uh, a little bit younger, uh, my wife's father had a, a Mustang, but it wasn't just any Mustang. It wasn't just any Mustang. It was a Roush Stage 3 Signature Series Mustang. There was only 50 of them produced, and he had number 37. And y'all are like, well, what does that mean? Well, it means he had a race car, okay? He had a race car. And I remember one time he asked me, hey, would you like to drive the Roush. And so I said, well, let me pray about it. Yeah, I think so. I think God wants me to pray that. I mean, for real, I saw like the star that had rested above the car. You know what I mean? It was glowing like an angel. I said, yeah, this is God's will for my life. And so I got in that car and see Amanda had a Mustang. Amanda had a Mustang. She had a V6 Mustang at the time, but this Roush was a V8. Supercharged, You crunk it up. A yeah, race car. And it was like, Room, drive me fast, drive me fast, drive me fast, Room, drive me fast, drive me fast, room, drive me fast, drive me fast. Room, drive me fast drive me. And so I got in that car, and I could feel I had never experienced that kind of power before in my life. And I thought, man, I could get used to this, especially as a pastor. Imagine how many people I could go visit, and I could do it fast, you know. We all might need to take up another offer, and I'm just kidding. But you know what I mean? I was excited. I was like, man, I could get used to this. I could live with this level of Power. And again, as you drove that car, you could tell it had power. Well, Paul, because Paul knew Christ, he had access to a new level of power. And just how I wanted more of the power from that Mustang, Paul wanted more of the power of Christ. He said, I want to know the power of his resurrection. For Paul, the resurrection of Jesus wasn't something that had happened 40 years prior. It was something that happened in his life. Each and every day. We just had Easter last week. A lot of people from all over go to churches everywhere, right? You're supposed to go. You're supposed to celebrate Jesus. I mean, he's alive. Well, here's what you need to understand. Christ wasn't just alive last Sunday. Christ is alive today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Christ is alive forevermore. And every day you and I should want more of his resurrecting power because he's alive. We have access to that power because he is alive. You and I don't have to be bound by sin. We don't have to live down in the dumps. We have power available to us because Jesus Christ is alive. Paul said, man, I know Christ, and I want to know Christ more. I want to know Christ more. Are you saying the same thing this morning? See, again, Paul wanted to know Christ, but the second thing that I want you to see that Paul wanted was that Paul wanted to grasp Christ. He wanted to grasp Christ. Look at what the Bible says in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3. This is Paul. Not that I've already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. See, let me illustrate something to you real quick. and My mind's real odd, y'all know. How many of y'all know? I know, Pastor. I listened to you for a while. You crazy. So let me let me kind of illustrate something to you. I got somebody gonna come and help me. Uh, Big Stephen gonna come help me, y'all. Y'all anybody know Stephen here? Give it up for Stephen. Yeah. It, it's not it's not always easy to stand up on the stage, especially when these lights are on. You're like, hey. All right, so in this illustration, Stephen is going to play Jesus. He's going to play Jesus. How many of y'all know Stephen again? It's a stretch, I know, right? He's going to play Jesus, and then I'm going to be like a sinner. I'm going to be this lost person. Okay, so like as a lost person, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, obviously if I'm living in sin, Jesus is over there, I'm over here. There is this separation that exists between us. Sometimes people will use this phrase. They'll say, I found Jesus. How many of y'all have ever heard that? But that's not really technically true because Jesus is never lost. We're the ones who are lost and Jesus finds us. Right, But a lot of times for somebody who is a sinner, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, they're living in sin. They're not even aware sometimes that everything they are doing is wrong. How many of y'all have ever been there? I know that I've been there in my own life. So they're not even aware that what they've been doing is wrong. But here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. The Bible says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there are times in our life where the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin. And that verse right there says... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm a sinner, and here's Jesus. If I, am, if I realize, hey, I'm a sinner, I need Christ. If I just cry out, Lord, save me, immediately, that's what happens, right? Right? immediately Christ will come into your life and he will take hold of you, which is a good thing. Because what happens is when Christ comes into your life, you are under the direction of God, right? You're under the direction of Jesus. And that's good because you might not be like me, but there are times in my life where I might want to go over here or I might want to do that. And Jesus is like, nah, bro, you ain't doing that. Anybody know know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. So that, that happens. That happens. And when Christ has a hold of us, we're under his care, we're under his protection. It is a blessing. But what does Paul say? Paul says, I want to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of me. Paul says, this is great, but I want more. See, Jesus isn't like this ultimate parent just hovering over his kids, making sure they don't do certain things. Paul says, I want more. I, I, I want to actually take hold of that which has taken hold of me. Watch this. I want to take hold of that which has taken hold of me. So Paul basically says, hey, this is great, but I want to do this. Hey, you lead me, Jesus. Wherever you say I need to go, that's where I'm going to go with your will, your way, for your kingdom, and for your glory. Amen. Do you see the difference here? Give it up for Jesus. And Stephen. You did a good deal. But there's this huge difference between this religion controlling me and saying, hey, I want to know Christ. And even in life when things are difficult, I know He has a hold of me. But I also have a hold of Him. Amen? Paul said, I want to know Christ. I want to grasp Christ. And the third thing that he said that he wanted was he wanted to focus on Christ. I want to focus on Christ. Look at what Paul says in verse 13. He says, brothers and sisters, I did not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. What's Paul saying? Forgetting what is behind. What was he talking about? Forgetting what is behind. Well, certainly he wanted to forget the sin that was in his life, right? He was basically saying, hey, I don't want to be more like me and the old me and how I was. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to forget that old way of life, and I want to remember Christ. And so he says, I want to be more like Jesus. The problem is... When you and I say we want to be like Christ, a lot of times we try to do it through self effort, right? And that gets us in trouble. In fact, the entire Jewish religion, that's what it was established on. It was established on what the people did, what the people did, and not on what Christ did. What did Jesus say on the cross? He said, It is finished. It is finished. Well, there were people in the church when Paul was alive who were saying, Hey, you know what? We need to keep a little bit of our Jewish tradition. And so when Gentiles, people who are non-Jews, when they come in, they need to honor some of the stuff that we feel like is important. They need to do some of the things that we've always done. And so Paul said, You've got to stay focused. You've got to stay focused. It, 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 takes, it takes effort to stay focused. He's encouraging the people around him to stay focused focused and here's something if you want to write it down here's something you could write down that might help you it'll help you out in life you you know it takes focus to block out the yappers right it takes focus to block out the yappers look at what Paul says at the beginning of this chapter in verse 2 this is what Paul says he says watch out for those dogs those evil doers mutilators those mutilators of the flesh what is Paul talking about (laughs) again there were these Jews who would look at Gentiles, these grown men, and say, y'all need to do what we did when we were eight days old. And y'all need to be circumcised. Now, can you imagine a man in their 30s, a grown man that, you know, didn't grow up with that tradition, going up to him and say, hey, man, we'd love you to join our church, but we've got we to snip. We've got to do some cutting. That causes dread, right? That wasn't causing anybody joy. That causes dread. That wasn't causing anybody joy. And so Paul says, watch out for those dogs Those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, those Jews who kept saying, you got to do this, and you got to do that. You got to do this. How many of y'all got a dog? How many of y'all got a dog? I got three dogs, three German shepherds. So if you walk in my yard, you're going to have to clean your shoes before you leave, I promise. Uh, But I love my dogs. But how many of y'all have ever had a neighbor that maybe had a dog that just barked constantly? How many of y'all got a little bitty dog here? Man, those little bitty dogs seem to do it all the time. I'll never forget, I used to where I used to be at another church, and I went to visit this older this older couple, and they had a dog. I think the dog was blind because it never looked. It was looking at me, but it wasn't looking at me. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So, uh, and so I knocked on the door, and all of a sudden I heard, yep, yep. and so I walked into the house, and the dog like, yep, yep, yep. and I'm sitting down in the chair, and I'm trying to listen to these people, but I can't hear anything but. Yep, 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 yep. That's all. I'm hearing. and the dog's not even looking at me. He's just barking. So that's why I thought the dog's blind. I was like, "What's going on with this dog? I don't know what's going on." But it's, yup, 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 yup. there's nothing worse than that, right? Isn't that frustrating? Isn't that frustrating when that when that happens? Well, the Apostle Paul is saying those guys who are telling you you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that. Man, they're yappers. They're yappers. And 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 this dead religion, it's like a, a yapping dog. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to give more. You got to be here more. You got to do that. You got to do this. You got to do that. And some people grew up in that kind of atmosphere, in that kind of atmosphere, and it was stamped with Jesus, but it wasn't really Jesus. It was just constant yapping that you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to do enough. You're never going to be deep enough. You're never going to have enough that God wants. What the Bible says is that in Christianity, the old yapping dog is dead, right? Some of you are like, Whoa! and I promise you, no dogs were hurt in the making of this sermon, okay? <laughs> but that's what Christianity says. The old yapping dog is dead. And when you and I surrender our lives to Christ, there's this new voice that comes along that helps us cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. That's, 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 that's what we cry out to God. And when you think of an infant, when you think of the relationship that they have with their mother, with their father, there's, there's, that child is not trying to prove anything to their parents. It's just unconditional love. And so Paul says, don't be into that self-righteous religion because it's all about Jesus. And it takes focus. It takes focus to block out the people who are going to tell you, you got to do this and you got to do that. It takes focus to totally rely on Christ. And so look at verse, look at verse three of Philippians chapter three. Paul says, for it is we who are the circumcision. We are the circumcision who were, who serve God by his spirit. Paul is saying that, hey, circumcision is, is, is something that happens in, in our heart. It's, it's not an outward sign. It's an inward experience who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in the flesh. We got to get this. Because we're like, we're we're in America, and and America is the place where we like to make things happen. Anybody, you know, we would like to make things happen. But Paul says put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh in terms of salvation. Work hard. Make sure you do your best so that you can succeed in this world and in business. But that's not how it works when it comes to salvation. And so Paul says put no confidence in salvation the flesh. What's he saying? Paul is saying it's it's not grace a lot. Paul is saying it's grace alone. Paul, Paul Paul is saying it's not grace a lot. It is grace alone. That's what Christianity is. The problem with so many people in the church today is that they have this Prodigal son mindset where they feel like, yes, I've messed up, and so I'll go back to the father, I'll ask for forgiveness, I'll do this, I'll do that, and maybe he'll let me back into the house based off of what I am doing. But God says, no, because you cannot pay God back. We're all sinners and we all deserve death. You cannot. Pay God back. And so it's not you 50% and God 50%. It's not God 70% and you 30%. It's not God 90% and you 10%. It's all God. It's all God. That's what Paul is trying to say. If salvation was up to you and if salvation was up to me, then that meant that Christ didn't have to die on Calvary's cross. It, it, it It really takes focus to realize salvation is all the work of Jesus. It's the work of Christ. It also takes focus for you and I to try to avoid this perfection addiction. You see this all the time with people who will take a picture in a group. If I took a picture of this group, who's the first person you would look for in that picture? Yourself, right? And if you didn't look good, what would you say? We need to, we need to retake this picture. Everybody else might look great, but because you don't think you look great, what, what do you, we need to retake it. I mean, you look on Facebook and Instagram. Everybody's trying to get that perfect angle. I've seen some people, and i was like, that don't even look like who I Anybody know what I'm talking about? They're trying to get that perfect angle, that perfect picture, and we think that our lives, every area of our life has to be perfect. We think the house has to be perfect. The yard has to be perfect. The lights have to be set to this level in our house. Our beard has to be trimmed to to this level. Your nails have to be done. Your your skin has to be exfoliated or whatever it is that you do. I mean, you got to do this, you got to do that. Clothes have to be a certain way. We are addicted to perfection. Paul says he was addicted to perfection. I want you to see this. Look at verse 4. He says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. After he just said, don't put any confidence in the flesh. He says, but I do. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. What that says right there is that he and his family lived their life by the Bible, by the scripture, by the law of Moses. He says, of the people of Israel, which means that not only do they do that, but Paul has the right nationality. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he was the purest of pure when it came to being Jewish. He goes on to say in regard to the law of Pharisee, what that means is that Paul was part of the religious elite. As for zeal, which means this was in his heart, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul says, man, I was awesome. I was awesome. I was special. But look what he goes on to say in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I count it all loss. Some translations use the word dung, or I count it as garbage. It's worthless, is what Paul says. All that stuff that I used to think made me a religious superhero just made me ugly and proud. And for some of us, when we hear that, we, we really get offended. Because we think that underneath the clothes that we're wearing today is this invisible sign on our chest that says we are awesome. We are awesome, but, but we're not. We think the more that we do right, the more God will love us. But we just need to understand that without Christ in our life, we're all terrible messes. That's who we are. It's not grace a lot. It's grace alone. So Paul says don't be addicted to this this performance I forget what is behind I forget what is behind what's he trying to say forget self-confidence it has to die so Paul says I want to know Christ I want to grasp Christ I want to focus on Christ and the fourth thing that he says is that I want to press on for Christ I want to press on for Christ Look at verse 14 Paul says I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus, man, I, I love this. Now, how many of you have ever said something like this? I'll never be able to be like some of those people in the Bible who just seem to do all these miracles and just seem to do all this good. I know I've said that in my own life, but but here's the reality: you you and I can be like some of those people in the Bible if you're pressing, if you're reaching. And if you're straining for what God has for you, you can be just like him. The question is, are we pressing? Are we pressing or are we coasting? Because if I could just be honest, even in my own life, instead of pressing, that's what happens to me. I just end up coasting through life. Sometimes I think I've given enough, I've done enough, There's this old saying that says, he who thinks he is finished, is finished. And so to all the mature believers here, you've been in the game for a while, if I could just tell you something, don't finish until Jesus says it's finished. Don't finish until Jesus says it's finished. Don't coast. See, I remember a time in my life when I gave my heart to Christ and I was so excited about the things of God. I wanted to know Christ. Man, I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to be at church every time the doors were open. I wanted to do everything that I could for for Christ. It wasn't that I was trying to work my way into heaven. I really just wanted to know Christ. And it bothered me that I had friends and family who didn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and so I was ready to charge hell with a water pistol man. I was just I just wanted everybody to know Jesus Wanted to see their lives Changed it used to disturb me and wake me up in the middle of the night that I had friends again Who if they were to die right at that moment would live for eternity separated from Jesus in a place called hell It used to bother me But you know what happens? life right Life happens. You get married. You have three kids. You have three dogs. You got to do this. You got to do that. And all those things are not bad, but there are just times in my life where I'm so wrapped up in those things that I coast right past all the stuff that God wants me to do. And where I used to be pressing towards those things. There are times where I find myself coasting. And I don't want to coast. When Elevate Church first started, maybe you're here, you were here at the beginning. When Elevate Church first started, maybe you did everything that you could. You were here when the doors opened. You wanted to serve. You wanted to reach people. You wanted to, you just wanted everything for Jesus. But now, after the years, instead of pressing, you're sitting here in the service and you're wondering, what's for lunch? You're just coasting, you're just coasting. I don't want to coast, I want to press. And So maybe you're here and it's not coasting that's your problem, maybe instead of coasting and you're you're just impressing instead of pressing. And what I mean by that is maybe you're just living your life trying to impress people around you. Paul had long given up on that. He said, you know what? I'm not going to live my life to please the people around me. I'm going to live my life for an audience of one. I'm going to live my life to please the one who died for me and who set me free. So maybe you're not coasting. Maybe you're not impressing. Maybe you're here and you're just waiting. Instead of pressing, you're just, you're just waiting. You come to the point in your life where you believe God for miracles we're just saying, God, if you want to do a miracle, you do it. I'll sit on the sidelines. I'm too tired. I'm too old. I just can't do much. So I'll just sit here. I'll just sit here and wait. Listen to me. The Bible says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Which tells me that God doesn't want you to sit and that God doesn't want me to sit. He doesn't want any of us to to sit. He wants us to press. Even in the fog of faith, he wants us to keep going and keep going and keep going. The problem with so many of us is we look at our Christianity like something like this. Look at this picture right here. Everybody know what that is? That's an elevator. And we think, you know what? I'll just wait on the doors to open and maybe God will be on the other side and God will be this divine bellboy and he'll press the number where I need to go. I'll just walk in and everything's going to work out. I'll be doing what God wants me to do. That's what a lot of people think. But this is not what following God looks like. This is not what living for God looks like. In fact, this next picture is more like it. It's steps. 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 See, how many of y'all would just be honest? When you go somewhere, you're looking for that elevator. Why do we do that? because it's easier, right? It's easier. I don't wanna take all those steps. I'll just wait. And maybe that's what you're doing today. You know that God's showed you the next step or the next step and the next step, but you're just standing there waiting because you think there's gonna be this other door, this elevator that opens up and you just walk right in and it'll be easy. Folks, that's not what God has for us. God wants us to keep stepping, to keep pressing, to keep moving, to keep pushing. Paul says, I press on. Are you pressing today? See, Paul knew he wanted to know Christ. He knew he wanted to grasp onto Christ. He knew he needed to focus on Christ. And he knew he knew he needed to keep pressing on Christ. Do you know that today? Do you want those things for your life? Because that's what you were made for. You were made for all things Christ. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life. I know in a room this big, there's a lot of people and we're all in different spots. It's a journey, folks. The spiritual life is a journey. Step after step after step after step and maybe you're here today and you're a christian and you've just been sitting waiting if you'd say pastor pray for me that i'll be willing to take that next step i'm gonna ask it right where you are you just lift your hand amen a lot of hands amen father i pray for these who have raised their hands recognizing that they've got a next step to take. And I pray that you would empower them with your Holy Spirit. The resurrecting power of Christ. May it fill their heart and their life. And may they be willing to do what it is that you've called them to do. Again, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, but maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. And, and I want you to know in an instant, you can cry out to God and he will grab a hold of you. And you don't, that doesn't have to be it. You can literally jump on and say, Father, today I, I want to jump on. I want to give you my heart. I want to give you my life. I want to surrender to you. So maybe you're here today and you know that that's what you need to do. That's your next step, giving your life to Christ. If that's you right where you are, I'm going to ask that you pray this prayer. Father, forgive me today for all of my sin. And I pray that you would come into my heart, and that you would save me. Today, Father, in this moment, I confess you as Lord. I confess you as Savior. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. Again, our heads are bowed. But I wonder today if there's somebody here who prayed that prayer to be saved. Again, nobody's looking around, but if you prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor? Would you just lift your hand so that I can know that God's moving today? Amen. 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 Father, today we thank you for new life. Father, I pray for these individuals that it'll be real. Father, that they'll surrender completely and wholly and that today will mark the beginning of a lifelong relationship with you. Father, I just thank you for saving me. And I thank you for moving in our midst. And I just ask that you would continue to move right now in these moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.